Now, if you are asked for a Christmas song, what song comes to mind? What song comes to mind? Surely it cannot just be one song, but there's a whole list of them that you and I hear during this time of the year because we all love Christmas carols. In fact, there are internet radio stations that play Christmas carols 24-7, whole year round. Imagine, whole year round of Christmas carols because Christmas carols, they do not tire listeners out. So I read that Mariah Carey's song, All I Want for Christmas is You, finally topped the charts 25 years after it was first released. As you can see, some songs can also be late bloomers. Because Christmas carols somehow do not tire people out. On the contrary, they move us, they influence us. And much of our ideas about Christmas are shaped by Christmas songs. So we are told that it's winter. We are told that there's snow, that there are bells, that there are lights, that there are decors, that the air is sweet, love fills the air. And there are Christmas wishes and there are gifts. So some of our ideas about Christmas are very much shaped by Christmas carols. So here's a meme. Either you laugh at this nervously or you don't get it. You can turn that off. Now, because there are so many Christmas songs out there that somehow shaped our ideas about Christmas, it would be good for us to look at what could have been the very first Christmas songs sung, sung long before the ones we hear today were recorded. And so the Gospel of Luke, which has just been read for us, the first two chapters, chapters 1 and 2, records for us the story of the Nativity. And it's interspersed with praises uttered by Mary, uttered by Zechariah, by the angelic beings, and by Simeon. And the praises that they voiced out have become canticles, canticles in church traditions, canticles which are songs that have the Bible text in it for their lyrics. And so in looking at these songs, I pray that they will somehow reshape any wrong ideas that we may have about Christmas. In other words, we shall look at Christmas not according to Mariah or Sinatra, but according to Mary, according to Zechariah, the angels, and Simeon. So firstly, what was Christmas to Mary? Well, it was an announcement that came in between a betrothal and a wedding. You see, in ancient Jewish traditions or customs, an engagement period called a betrothal preceded the wedding. It is a period when dowry and negotiations were made between families before the big day comes. You know, before the big day when the, uh, uh, the groom goes to the home of the bride and leads her in a joyous procession to his home. Well, an announcement short-circuited the betrothal. An angel appeared to Mary and told the very troubled virgin. Slide comes up. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary found favor with God because she was going to have a son. Not any ordinary son, but one who will be called the Son of the Most High. He will sit on David's throne and his kingdom will be everlasting. Now Mary could have been excited with the news, at the news, but she was troubled instead. Very troubled. Why? Because this announcement did not speak of things that will occur in the future. Say after the five-day wedding celebration or after the honeymoon. But the angelic announcement spoke of Mary having a baby in her womb while in betrothal period. That is why Mary asked anxiously, how will this be since I am a virgin? So the angel answered her. Slide comes up. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary was not the only one with child. Her cousin Elizabeth, who never had children, been through menopause, was now in her second trimester, all because of the power of the Almighty God. And now Mary had to see herself, and so the Gospel writer Luke tells us that she went in haste to visit her cousin. Her cousin. And when Mary arrived at the home of Elizabeth, both cousin and the baby in her womb were thrilled to see Mary, we were told. The baby gave a kick in the womb, and Elizabeth could not believe that the mother of the Lord actually came to visit her. She exclaimed to Mary, and she says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is she who believed that what was spoken to her would be fulfilled. So Mary believed what the angel had spoken to her, and now she has seen it herself. And chapter 1, verses 46 and following, records for us Mary's song. In Latin, the Magnificat, which literally means magnifies. Because Mary magnifies the Lord in her praise, in her song. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. What was Christmas to Mary, according to her song? Well, it is God doing great things by his might. It is the power all of the God Almighty who overshadowed Mary and her cousin Elizabeth as well, causing the virgin to be with child and the barren woman to conceive in her old age. The power of the Almighty God renders all things possible. What was Christmas to Mary? It is God using His power to turn the tables around in delivering his people. And what does he do? He exalts the humble and he humbles the proud. And so God uses the strength of his arms, scattering the proud and, and bringing down the mighty from their thrones and exalting those who are in humble estate. So Mary must have thought of how God made the Egyptians poor, must have thought of how God enriched the Hebrews when God took note of the humble estate of his servants, the Hebrews, and rescued them from slavery. You know something about Mary's Magnificat is that it's very much similar to the prayer of Hannah. Remember Hannah? Hannah uh, was the mother of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And uh, Hannah was barren for many, many years. And at every year at reunions, she gets mocked by her rival, Penina. Penina, who had many children. And so when the Lord finally answered Hannah's prayer and opened her womb, she praised God. And she says in 1 Samuel chapter 2, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. It's very similar to Mary's Magnificat. And so if Mary was referencing Hannah's prayer, she praises God for His power and might in doing the impossible and for exalting the humble and humbling the proud. And so how was Mary exalted? Well, it could be her blessed state despite being a Nazarene. Because of all people, uh, God uses a girl from a small, insignificant town in Galilee, Nazareth. And Galileans themselves agreed that nothing good could come from Nazareth. Why? Because Galileans, they were not high society people. They were rude. They were uncultivated. So people also were prejudiced uh, very much against their accent. So the folks in Jerusalem, they spoke with an Oxford accent, but the people in Galilee, they sounded Scottish. Christmas, according to Mary, is the celebration of God humbling the proud and exalting the humble. It is the celebration of God's deliverance of His people. It is the celebration of God's might in doing the impossible. So Elizabeth's impossible pregnancy was testimony to all this. She, her, she herself 
praise God for for taking away her reproach among the people. And yet, Elizabeth's pregnancy was not a random mighty act of God. Why? Because God does not do things at random. He does not do things aimlessly. The mighty acts of God are always purposeful. So if you rewind, you do rewind six months back, an angel appeared to Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, and told them and told him that they will have a son at in their old age. And what was the purpose? Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and following. It is to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Zechariah and Elizabeth's son will be the forerunner to the son of Mary. He is to call the people, to call on the people to repent and to prepare them to receive the king in Mary's womb. And so when John the forerunner was finally born to Zechariah and Elizabeth in their old age, Zechariah responded too in praise. And his song is recorded for us in verses 68 and following. He says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And now he speaks to John and he says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So what was Christmas to Zechariah? It is the celebration of God finally giving his people a savior, a deliverer. He calls it a horn of salvation. A horn of salvation who shall deliver them from their enemies and usher in a peaceful era for his people to serve God in holiness and righteousness. Because that is what the king and the deliverer is to do. He is to crush all enemies, bring about a peaceful rule, and lead all subjects to worship and serve God without fear, without hindrance. So if you scan the Old Testament and recall the kings of the past, they all have failed 
to achieve this. Why? Because they have strayed from their calling and instead pursued their own idolatries. But now, God has given the Son of the Most High, who will usher in an everlasting kingdom. And this is also in keeping with God's promise to Abraham, the covenant that through Abraham all peoples will be blessed. Didn't Mary speak about this as well in her Magnificent, that God remembered what he spoke to Abraham and the forefathers? But you see, what must come before the kingdom of peace, before a peaceful era can come? What must precede an era when enemies are all subdued? What must precede? It's repentance. It's salvation. So Zechariah pronounces upon his son, and he says, You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways and to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of God's mercy. So God's mercy now provides forgiveness and salvation that is found in his son. And this is what the son of Zechariah is purposed to do, to call on people not to follow him, but to follow Jesus. So what was Christmas to Zechariah? It is the celebration of the coming of God's promised Savior, saving his people from sins, offering forgiveness because of God's mercy, bringing sunlight to a world that sits in darkness, to a world that is cast dark by the shadow of death. So if you've been reading the papers, Tommy Cole published an article saying that Singapore is a first world country with third world people. Did you read that? It's a first world country with third world people. Why did he say that? He says because people here litter. Singapore is not a clean city, he agrees. It is a cleaned city where we hire foreign workers to come and clean after us. So he says, Singapore is a first world country with third world people because of the way people drive, because of the lack of courtesy and kindness. Now, Professor Ko regretted using the description third world because he says, actually, you know, third world people, they know how to show kindness. I agree with him because I think the better description is neither first world nor third world, but a dark world. A dark world because if you read the papers the news tell us about maltreatment of maids abuse against security guards a professor's road rage outrage of modesty occurring in dorms and dorms of the famous universities in Asia at that they reveal that we live in a world that sits in darkness, a world that badly needs salvation. Christmas to Zechariah is a celebration of that salvation that is found in the King and Deliverer, who brings about a great light, a great light to a world that sits 
in darkness. So what was Christmas to Mary? It was God the Deliverer, the Savior, doing the impossible things in His might, delivering His people, turning the tables around. And what was Christmas to Zechariah? It is God sending a Deliverer who saves His people from sin, forgiving them. It is God fulfilling His promise to Abraham. Now moving on, what about the angels? What was Christmas to the multitude of heavenly hosts? Well, we are told that on the night of Jesus' birth, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds who were doing their night shift out in the fields and telling them of the good news that a Savior has been born in their town, a Savior who is actually Christ the Lord. And the angels gave instructions to the shepherd how to find this baby, after which we were told that a company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels. They praised God and they chorused, they exclaimed, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What was Christmas to the angels? It was a blessing of glory to God above. It was a blessing of peace to all on the earth. Well, God deserved the praise of glory for, for many reasons. Why? Because He finally delivered His promised gift to His people. See, from the moment the first man and woman sinned against God and thus brought death upon the world, thus brought curse and chaos upon the world, God at that time, in His great love for us, who are His image bearers, has already embarked on a restoration plan to save us, a restoration plan for creation. So you recall in Genesis, God told the serpent that the woman's offspring is going to strike his head. So it is a revelation of God's future plan to send a Savior born of a woman, to strike the devil, render him powerless, no longer able to hold man captive to sin. For the Savior is going to free man from bondage to sin and give him the freedom to obey and worship God. That is why the angels declared, Glory to God in the highest because He has finally unveiled His promised Savior through the birth of Jesus. And why else does God deserve glory? Because God the Son came to us not by apparition, not by some holographic image. God the Son came to us by incarnation. God the Son took on, took on flesh. He's become one of us. So one author describes him as baby drool. Baby drool, can you imagine that? Jesus drooled as a baby. Jesus soiled his diapers. Jesus had nappy rash colic jaundice because that is incarnation. He was the Word who was with God and became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
So the message of the incarnation is this, as one author puts it, I am not a distant God high in heaven. I am a God who joins you, who experiences the hardships of this life, one who suffers with you. Glory to God, because God who has the multitudes of angels to do his bidding instead sends his own son, his very own. God downsized himself to our level. That is incarnation. And so certainly he deserves all the glory. Christmas to the angels is glorifying God for his loving and humble act of giving his son to us. And so they blessed and they praised God for the glory he deserves. And then the angels pronounced peace upon the earth. Peace on earth among whose, whom his favor rests. Now this is very significant because the Bible tells us that peace is God's attribute. It is his character. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, calls upon God as the God of peace. Peace tells us that the birth of Jesus is the uh, commencement of God's restorative and transformational relationship with us. Why? Because there was war between man and God when we sin against him. Jonathan Edwards, in his famous sermons, describes us as sinners in the hands of an angry God. But when God shows favor through the birth of his son, he initiates peace. He declares peace. And at the same time, he gives peace. For peace is a divine gift to those who respond to God's offer of forgiveness and salvation. That is why the gospel is also called the gospel of peace, because it is God's offer of peace. And those who proclaim it, they are called bearers of peace. And those who receive it, or rather accept the gospel of peace, receive peace. So I remember during my heart-to-heart -heart conversation with my mom when she was still around, mom confessed to me that there was one time because of financial constraints in the family, she aborted one baby. So there were five of us siblings, but it could have been six. But because of poverty, mom decided to abort one baby. And she lived in fear and regret ever since. Well, when she came to faith in Jesus, peace replaced her fear. The peace that can only be brought about by forgiveness. So what was Christmas to the angels? It is God deserving all the glory for all the things that he has done and for the peace that we could enjoy because there is now ceasefire between the God of peace and the one who receives his son, the peacemaker. Lastly, what was Christmas to the aged man, Simeon? 
Well, we are told that when the newborn Jesus was brought to the temple for consecration and for the parents to offer a sacrifice, an aged man by the name of Simeon was moved by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple too. Now, there's something very special about Simeon in that God has a special arrangement with him. What was the special arrangement? Well, it had been revealed uh, to Simeon that he would not die until he sees God's promised Savior. And now the time has come for Simeon to see with his own eyes God's promise. And so when the parents brought the baby Jesus into the temple, Simeon, instead of running away as if he has seen Mr. Death, he instead took Jesus in his arms and praised God. And he declared this, 29, chapter 2, 29 to 32, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now you've heard people say that death always comes at the wrong time. Isn't that true? Death always comes at the wrong time. Some people had to cut short their holidays, fly back because there was death in the family. Death comes at the wrong time. It comes at a wrong time to the man who passed away a few days just before the end block, unblock succeeded. Death comes at a wrong time. But for Simeon, there is a right time to die. He says, Lord, let your servant depart in peace. Take me home, he says. Why? Because he's finally seen the consolation of Israel, he says. The comforter, because comfort and refreshment is what the Messiah brings to his people. Simeon has now seen in the baby the God of all comforts, his salvation. And so he tells God, I can now go in peace. You know, in pastoral work, I've seen people in their, on their deathbeds very fearful, lacking peace, because they did not put their trust in the God of peace. On the other hand, I've seen a brother who tells me with a smile, oh, pastor, I'm going for a chemotherapy session tomorrow. He tells that to me with a smile, as if he's going on a holiday. Why, I asked? He says, because I have peace. Simeon implores God to let him depart in peace now because there is a Savior from God. And this Savior, Simeon says, is not only for Israel, but he is also for all peoples, for us, the Gentiles. He is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to God's people, Israel. Jesus is a very blessing that God has given us through the nation, Israel. And so the first Christmas songs uttered by Mary, by Zechariah, the angels, and Simeon, they sing of many things. 
But the most common can be summed up into three. They sing of God as the promise keeper. They sing of God as the Savior. They sing of God as the peacemaker. And their songs ought to help us then have a right idea about Christmas. So if they celebrated God keeping His promise to His people, our Christmas must celebrate God as the promise keeper. We celebrate God's promise given way, way back to Abraham, given way, way back to David, whom he made a covenant with. And so now we have Jesus. And we can continue to celebrate God, the promise keeper. Why? Because the Son, Jesus, gave us many, many promises. So Jesus promised us eternal life. He says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has now passed from death to life. Jesus promises eternal life. Jesus also promises us acceptance. He says, whom the Father sends to Jesus, he is never going to turn, turn away. Jesus promises acceptance. He's not going to reject us. Jesus also promises friendship. He tells his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, but I have now called you friends. Jesus promises love and joy. He says in, in the Gospel of John, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete, may be full. Jesus promises love and joy. And so Christmas is the celebration of the God who keeps his promise. And we ought to celebrate that. We celebrate too that God is a promise keeper. And we celebrate him who saves us from sin. Because Jesus, or rather Christmas, is a celebration of God as Savior. That though we live in a world that is sitting in darkness, there is no more gloom for us who believe in Jesus. Jesus saves us from sin and death, and then he gives us a new life to live for him. We who have given our lives to Jesus can say no to sin. We can flee from temptation. And when we fall into our sinful desires, we can always find forgiveness in Jesus. We celebrate God as Savior. And finally, we also should celebrate God as peacemaker. See, because God saves us from sin and granted us forgiveness, He saves us from God's wrath and has brought about peace and reconciliation. And so we receive comfort instead of condemnation from Him. We are consoled that His anger may last for a moment, but His favor lasts for a lifetime. And having received peace when we obeyed the gospel of peace, Guess what? We are spirit-empowered to live peaceful, godly lives with one another, forbearing one another, 
forgiving one another. And so warring nations, sometimes they may call for a ceasefire on Christmas Day, a ceasefire for just one day, and then they resume on the 26th. We who believe in Jesus can declare ceasefire with one another from henceforth because our Lord has called us to peace. And so the Christmas carols you listen to, what do they sing of? May you sing the promises of God, the mighty acts of His salvation and His peace that is given through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Help us, O Lord, to have the correct idea of the Advent season, that you in your goodness has given us your Son, the Lord Jesus, in whom we find peace and reconciliation. You are the God who keeps your promise to your people. You are the God who performs mighty acts to do that which is impossible. We celebrate your Son who saves us and delivers us from sin. All glory be to you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.